You can call this a sermon or you can call it a Christmas devotion, whatever you want want to. But I want to talk before I start the sermon, I want to talk a little bit about the process of note-taking, specifically taking notes in church. We have a lot, and that's different from passing notes, okay? I just want to make sure that's understood. But uh, many of you take notes. Uh, some of you do not. Either way is fine. Um, many of our youth now, as we have a new program that uh, Becca has been uh, kind of instituting with the youth, something called the Forge, where they work uh, towards goals and things like coming to church, taking sermon notes, inviting friends, things like this. And so, so we've got a lot of our children, a lot of our youth even now, um, take sermon notes. I want to talk about that for just a second before I begin, though, uh, because today's message, devotion, sermon, whatever you want to call it, is a little bit different than usual, and it doesn't kind of have the point, sub-point, point, sub-point, sub you know, all, all of the traditional three points in a poem or whatever a traditional sermon is. Um, so I want to say this to those who take notes. The point of taking notes is not to be a great note-taker. The point of taking notes is the point of everything else we do as believers, and that's to get us to know Jesus a little bit more. I've heard people tell me, Pastor Tim, I can't take notes because I stress out. I'm a perfectionist. I miss one word that you said, and then I spend the whole entire rest of the sermon trying to figure out what that one word is. Don't take notes if that's you. I don't want you to be stressed. This is a, a place of joy and worship. But what it is, like I said, it's, it's to find out what's God speaking to you. So some of the best notes you'll ever take during a sermon are not things that I said, but things that God spoke to your heart as his word was being read and being discussed. And so don't look at this note-taking as an exercise in perfection. It's not something you turn in. Your children and grandchildren will not one day pull out your old sermon journal and say, oh, this is incomplete. You know, they, they will not judge you. It is simply for you to draw closer to the Lord and write down the things that he's speaking to you. And having said that, simply put, I will, I will tell you that if you're going to take notes today, probably the easiest way is to write at the top after you've written the scripture, Micah 5, 2, write O, and then go down a little bit and write little town. And then go down a little bit more and write of Bethlehem. And that's how you can uh, best take notes, I imagine, today. Now, our scripture is Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And if you're physically able, I want to ask you to stand in reverence and honor for the reading of God's word. Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Let's pray. God, we come to you today, and we thank you for that special star, that special night in Bethlehem where the greatest gift of all time was given, the greatest act of love. As your word tells us, you so loved us, you so loved this world, that you gave your only begotten Son. And Father, today I, I pray that you would renew our hearts with not only with appreciation for what you did in sending your Son, but how you did it and what it means for those of us who are believers. God, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You can be seated. Oh, oh, oh. It's an interesting uh, word. I, you know, you really can't use most letters as a word. You can't just go up and I can't start the sermon saying Z. You know, none of you would get anything out of that. But I can say, oh, good morning, or oh, people, or oh, what a nice crowd we have today. And so it's an interesting, uh, interesting letter, an interesting word, and we use this word in several different uh, ways in the English language. Now, I'm not going to get into the grammar, so if I disappoint any English teachers, we're not going to talk about the vocative or any, you know, any kind of stuff like that, but um, O is used in different ways. Sometimes it's, it's used to identify uh, a person or a group that's being addressed. And so, O little town of Bethlehem, or O Bethlehem, as the, uh, as the original reads, O Bethlehem. It is, it is saying to us, Bethlehem, listen up very specifically. I want you to hear. You see, the prophet Micah had been speaking to Jerusalem, the big town, the town that everybody knew about. And he'd been telling them about some bad times that were going to come. They had been haughty, they had been arrogant, they'd been puffed up in their pride and their, their history and their heritage, and they just thought everything good was going to automatically come to them because they were Jerusalem. They were the capital city, they were the great city. And he had to remind them through the prophet Micah, God had to say, uh, you're not as great as you think you are because you've grown arrogant. But he switches tones and he says, but, but you... Oh, Bethlehem. And he wants this little town to, he wants them to get, uh, understand that he's speaking a very specific word to them. So we use O to to, uh, identify a group. Sometimes we use it to make a grand pronouncement or to, to show great emotion. Remember Jesus as he stood over uh, the city of Jerusalem before he made his uh, triumphal entrance, as he looked out over the city, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you under my wings like a hen gathers its chicks. Jesus was deeply moved as he looked out over the city of Jerusalem. And as he knew what was going to happen, He knew about that triumphal entrance, that they would be shouting, Son of David, Hosanna. But only a few days later, there'd be shouts, crucify him. He knew this, and he longed for this city to come to God. And one final use of the word O is to convey surprise. O, really? And surprise certainly fits with Bethlehem. Because if there were any city or any town that you would ask ancient Jewish people, where do you think the Messiah will come? Well, probably they would have said Jerusalem right away because it was the grand and big city. And and then they might have listed other cities that came in a close second or third. But on that list, Bethlehem probably wouldn't have even gotten an honorable mention. It just wasn't all that highly regarded. Because Bethlehem was a little town. 
Oh, little town. People have a way of equating size with significance. When someone does something that displays character, we can remark on them about being a big person, you know. If a man actually admits that he's wrong, oh, that takes a big man to admit when he's wrong, you know. You're a big person. We uh, use uh, the word uh, little sometimes in that way. Some of you who are Jane Austen fans remember in Emma, where she finally confessed her failure to her friend Mr. Knightley. Emma was a classic, uh, just almost addicted to matchmaking. She loved to set people up. She loved to play Cupid, and she had thought that her friend Harriet was going to go perfectly with Mr. Elton, who was the local minister. And she connived and she worked to bring them two together. And eventually, though, she realized that her hopes and dreams for this relationship to work out would be dashed. And she ends up admitting to her friend, Mr. Knightley, she says, you saw a littleness in him that I did not see in myself. By the way, when I first came to this church, for several weeks, Charlie Studdard referred to me as Tim Little. And um, <laughs> he was setting the tone, making sure that I was humble here as pastor. Appreciate that, Charlie, and uh, never letting you live that down. Just, just going to remind you every so often. No, but we, we have this way of thinking big is good and little's bad right? That's just, it's a thing that people do, and, and uh, that's not a new thing with the English language. In fact, the scholars say that the, the Hebrew language, the word used here for, for little or for small, however your translation reads it, is a word that can refer not only simply to physical size, but also significance. It was as if God, through the prophet Micah, was saying, Bethlehem, even though the world doesn't think much of you, even though you're of no repute, you have no fame, uh, you, you have no big reputation, I'm still about to do something amazing in your midst. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem and Jerusalem are inextricably linked by King David or shepherd boy David and King David, we might say. You know, he was uh, simply out keeping watch over his flock, kind of like those shepherds we hear about in Luke 2. When he was, his family was called upon one day by the prophet who had come to anoint the future king of Israel. And he was thought so highly of that all of his older brothers got called in before the prophet and his dad, Jesse, said, ah, you, you stay. You're good with the sheep, David. You stay out there. And one by one, all the rest of the brothers were paraded in front of the prophet. And God would, the prophet would look and would say, oh, this is a kingly-looking man. And God would say to him, man looks at the outside, but I, the Lord, look at the heart. And each and every one, he thought, well, he's not the oldest, but he's still kind of kingly looking, and they put the next one in front of him. But God would say, no, that's not the one. And finally, he had to come and to ask Jesse, he said, do you have any other sons? 
I mean, I really thought God was telling me that one of your sons was going to be king, but he, he hasn't given me the thumbs up on any of these guys. And Jesse says, well, here's the baby of the family. I mean, he, he's out there with the sheep. Somebody had to stay out there and watch over those sheep. Bring them on in. And he was, of course, the anointed one. He was the one that God chose and put his favor upon to be the king of Israel. But God wanted to make a contrast because the first king, the one that the people had demanded, the one where the people said, we want a king like all the other nations around us. Isn't it great? I mean, it's, it's such, a, such a mature action for this nation. You know, it's kind of like your kid has a toy that they've never played. I mean, like they got it, they opened it, oh, this is great, and then they threw it down. They never play with it again. But when their buddy comes over and all of a sudden picks up that toy and having so much fun and enjoying it, all of a sudden, well, that's my toy. Give that toy to me. I want to play with that. You know, this is about how mature the nation of Israel was when they had God himself as their leader. But they looked around and they said, well, nobody else has God as their leader. They all have kings and we want a king. We want a king. And God said, okay, <laughs> you'll get a king. And they got a kingly looking king, Saul who was tall and broad and had a nice voice. And he looked and sounded every bit a king. But he was not a man after God's own heart, as David was. So Bethlehem had this, this interesting place. It was, if it was remembered at all, people might like, oh, yeah. Bethlehem, it's a one-hit wonder. There was one thing good that ever happened in that town, and uh, it was old David who became king, but guess what? As soon as he could, he got out of there and never came back. So we don't have to worry about old Bethlehem. And Bethlehem existed in the shadow of Jerusalem, both literally and figuratively. Literally, it was only about six miles away, and so the scholars say, that with the terrain and such, you could start a walk uh, that morning and you, from Jerusalem, and you could be in Bethlehem that afternoon. Some of the athletes among us might say, oh, that'd make for a good 10K run. You know, 6.2 miles, I, I'm, I could do that. Nice little hill workout, though, I'm going to tell you. Be prepared. But Bethlehem was under that shadow of Jerusalem, even though it was only six miles away. Nobody thought of Bethlehem as being the great town. <laughs> they really forgot about it. Other than there was a few scholars who, who knew, you know, really well the, the old word of the Old Testament. They had studied all the prophecies. They were the prophecy geeks of their day. And so when the wise men who came from the east entered into Jerusalem, when they went to see the king and said, where is he who is to be born king of the Jews? Herod didn't know, but Herod had people, right? When you're that big, you have people. And he said, my people will, will look into this. And he sent to his scholars, and they searched the scriptures, and they said, in Bethlehem, that's where the Messiah will be born. Now, isn't it amazing? All this time, they knew exactly 
Hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Micah had spoken and it said, this is exactly where the Messiah will come. But nobody was hanging out there in Bethlehem saying, oh, we can't wait. We're watching. In fact, the, the biblical story of the wise men and Herod and all that stuff, there's no indication that any of the prophets or priests in Jerusalem said, oh, can we tag along? We want to go see the Messiah. We want to jump on the bandwagon. Can we go too? Because it was Bethlehem. We'll hear your report when you get back. Bethlehem, the little town. The Bethlehem in Hebrew literally means house of bread. I like that. You know, in Bible days, they didn't have to worry about carbs. Wasn't that great? I mean, you know, nowadays, if, if this religion was being born, I'm not sure if people would say the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, no. Give us this day our gluten-free, nasty-tasting, what, you know, we... We have a thing against bread, but bread was synonymous with food. It was synonymous with life. And so Bethlehem, to have the name uh, house of bread, meant this was a place of life. This was a place where things were growing. In fact, the other word, if you notice when we read Micah 5, 2, it was identified as Bethlehem Ephrathah. That word means fruitfulness. And so taken together, Bethlehem and this other name that's kind of a clan name, an area name, they mean this is a place where life happens. And so we live in a world where the big names, the big cities, the big stars, the big politicians, the big personalities get all the attention, and other folks sometimes feel like their family, their town, their church, their whatever is just simply small. And they equate that small size with insignificance. But our God is a God who takes the weak and creates strength. Uh, He is a God who came not as a conquering hero, but as a humble child. Maybe today, as you've considered the message of Christmas, you needed to be reminded of God's great love for you and sending his son to die on the cross to teach and to save his people. But maybe you simply also need to be reminded how he did it. He did it in a way where he didn't take the highfalutin, the high society, and and, and build up. He didn't take the rock stars of his world and and make Jesus come in and live in a mansion. You know, I I don't know how swaddling clothes were made, but I bet his were discount. I mean, I bet his were not the nice swaddling clothes. Jesus came into this world humble. He came in this world to identify with us and with all the trials and struggles that each of us face. So maybe if somewhere along the way, something in your life has made you feel little, has made you feel small, has made you wonder how much God really cares or how much God can really do through someone like you, remember Bethlehem, the little town. 
through whom God saved the whole world. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we come to you and we thank you so much for the God that you are, the the God who takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, the God who takes our weakness and brings strength from it, the God who takes all things, all circumstances, both good and bad, and works them together for the good of those who love him for those who are called according to his purpose. Lord, we thank you and we praise you because you used Bethlehem. We know that you can use us. You can save us. You can draw us close to you. You can use us to do great things in your kingdom. Lord, bless our time of response now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.